Welcome back to Milligan's Island. Today is episode number three. So today we're going to be talking about stress, trauma, and how that affects us. I'm going to kind of just be real with you guys. Uh, I'm going to open up and just be real and explain to the, the struggles that I've had or and, and still have to this day. And I, I hope that it helps someone. Uh, I'm willing to open up and share things uh, for the benefit that uh, someone else could get help. Um, but also, uh, another thing we're going to talk about today is, are there cocaine sharks swimming in the Gulf of Mexico? Hmm, I don't know. Let's talk about it. What's up, guys? I hope everybody's doing great. Uh, let me tell you, uh, I normally post these podcasts on Friday nights, uh, but it has been a busy, busy week for me. Uh, I'm still trying to get adjusted to day shift, which so far has been absolutely phenomenal. I have loved it. Um, after being on midnight shift for as many years as I was on midnight shift, um, it's good to see the sun. <laughs> it's good to see the sun. I'm loving actually sleeping at nighttime and being awake during the daytime. Uh, that is that has been quite a treat for me. I've already got sunburned like twice. <laughs> so, but anyway, so today's show, I want to start off by request. Someone come to me, Wilson. You're out there. I know you're listening. He come to me and he's like, dude, you've got to do this on your podcast. You've got to talk about the doggone cocaine sharks. <laughs> so I've done some digging. Uh, I actually read an article from CBS News, and it, it's actually really interesting. Um, just last month, I want you to listen to this. This is crazy. Just last month, the Coast Guard announced it found 14,153 pounds of cocaine in the ocean near Miami. And, and that, that cocaine was worth something to the effect of $186 million. Oh my goodness. That's a lot of cocaine. That's a, that's a ton of cocaine to be floating in the ocean. Okay. So according to this article, they were doing some research because they're actually trying to do a movie, shocking, uh, about cocaine, about a cocaine shark. Um, you know, trying to, you know, they had the cocaine bear. Now they got to do cocaine shark. So they're trying to do the cocaine shark movie. And so they actually got a, um, a, an actual uh, prof professional to come down and, and do some research on the sharks uh, and actually go through and look at some of these sharks that have consumed cocaine. Uh, they, they said they, they did see a difference in the behavior. It was a little bit more erratic, but they, they said there was no way to really tell if this was a direct result of the cocaine or if it was just a coincidence. So, interesting as it is, you know, I don't know if it's going to be a big difference uh, on the beaches. So, uh, you know, so there's not going to be a mass uh, shark attack, you know, of like thousands of people's people's here. Listen to me. Thousands of folks uh, out here um, getting attacked by sharks. I mean, I could literally I can hear it now. Well, most, most people think when they think cocaine sharks, they're like, you know, they can they can hear the news story, you know, breaking news out of. Um, Orange Beach this evening. Thousands of people attacked by two sharks. Like, come on, you know, yeah, that would be that would be quite interesting. But I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. So, cocaine sharks—it's a real thing, but not as big a deal as you would think it would be. 
Oh man, you got to love some of these stories. Some of these stories that come out, it's like what in the what in the world? <laughs> like sometimes you sometimes you realize that these mainstream um, news media organizations they're running out of things to talk about. So <laughs> they start bringing out cocaine sharks. It's like okay, what? Come on now. They've got to be something happening overseas that that could be of significance to us. But whatever, whatever. Um, here I am talking about cocaine sharks. So, uh, anyway, so I wanted to kind of talk about that for just a second. But what I really wanted to get into was stress, trauma, and how we as police officers, how we handle that, what the what the actual results uh, of stress are on our life and on our bodies. Um, and I'm going to kind of open up today and, and just kind of tell my story and and you know, just kind of what I've been through and what I'm still going through. So, uh, you know, five and a half years ago, I decided that I wanted to be a cop. Um, I had been a minister, uh, still a minister, um, still a preacher. Uh, I had been in the ministry for several years before I was before I became a cop. And, uh, you know, I was raised in a small town. Um, I didn't really have um, I'm not going to say I was sheltered. I wasn't really sheltered, um, at least not forcefully. I think I was willingly sheltered. I think I sheltered myself in a way. But I mean, I've I seen some things. But um, going from small town Alabama to, you know, metropolitan Alabama, which is I mean, it's not really a huge metropolitan city that I work in, but it's it's larger than, you know, the place that I live in. So, But it was a difference for me. Um, you know, I, I lived my life seeing the good in everybody. Um, I was very tender-hearted. Uh, I love people. I still love people. That hasn't changed. Um, otherwise, I would not be doing this job. But I do, I, I do care deeply for people, um, and that's the the main thing that's keeping me in the job. But no, and also because I feel that God has called me to this job, and I feel that He has me here for a reason. Um, that's actually the main reason. But anyway, it was very eye-opening. It was a bit of a culture shock to go from, you know, quiet, small-town Alabama to, you know, a city, and now you're actually a cop. You have authority. Um, you, you, I'll be honest, like, when I was growing up, I never did get in any fights, um, you know, I never got, I mean, I got into some arguments, things like that, but I always try to live my life, you know, trying to be the peacekeeper and the, you know, hey, you know, let's not argue and fight about this, let's just talk, you know, and, and, and I just, I didn't like confrontation, so, man, it was like a huge um, conflict when I started to be a cop, it was a huge change, it was a culture change for me, but as I continued and going through phases, going through the academy, uh, going through phases, and, and, you know, I struggled in phases just trying to get that cop, you know, personality, trying to get that uh, that sense that, hey, you're a cop, let's act like one, you know, let's not let this happen, let's not let that happen, you know, and so I struggled with those things a little at the beginning, but, you know, it, <clears throat> you know, it was one of those things that, over time, it actually started to catch on, and the, the things began to click for me. But um, but fast forwarding a little bit, you know, after being a cop by myself for a few years and being on my own and learning the job, and 
you know, just trying to be the best cop that I could be. You know, people told me all the time that stress was going to be an issue. You got to figure out how to, you know, manage your stress and cope with stress and, you know, all these things. And, um, you know, I was kind of, you know, in one ear, kind of out the other, to be honest. But um, after going so long, I started to see some issues in my family life. Um, my wife and I started to argue and fight more often. I was, I, honestly, I just wasn't happy. I was not happy. I was, the only feeling that I ever felt was anger. Um, just a constant anger and rage. I would be fine at work, 100% fine at work. But as soon as I walked through the front door with my beautiful wife, my three beautiful, awesome little girls, you know, I mean, I had a great life, still have a great life. I mean, I am blessed. I am blessed probably more than anybody is listening to this. <laughs> I would like to say that I'm probably more blessed than anybody. But it was like I did not realize my blessings, like I didn't realize all the good things that I had. But instead, I was angry, just angry all the time. So as it started to kind of, I didn't know what it was at first, but it really started to get between me and my wife. And and I just hated being this person. I went from being this fun-loving, funny, you know, loved everybody, you know, never really wanted to get frustrated and mad to now I'm this person that I don't even know. I look in the mirror and I'm just like, who who is this person that I've become? Now I've become someone that is... um the person that I never wanted to be. And it was all due to this overload of stress. It's kind of like, you know, we, we hear the analogy. I've heard it in a class before. Um, it's kind of like you take a, a beach ball, right? And you hold it under the water. You can hold it under the water for a while, but when it decides to come up and you let go of it, it is, it's going to, it's going to come up. You can't hold it down forever. It's eventually going to come up. And it just, that's the way that all this stress just began to pile and pile. And I never did anything with it. I threw it to the side. I'll deal with it later, right? You know, you'll deal with it later. You know, I'll go fishing or I'll go play music or whatever the case may be. And, uh, but, but, you know, you, 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 you're cop, you, you cops out there, you know what I'm talking about. You, you're busy. Like you're working overtime. You know, you're working your regular shift, and then, well, you get hung up on a lot of calls at the end of the day. You get hauled over. You know, I live an hour away from work, so <laughs> an hour away, you know, an hour later, I finally get home. I eat, see the kids, you know, for this little bit, and then before you know it, it's time for me to go to bed, and then I gotta get back up and go back to work again. So, you know, and on top of that was, you know, being on midnight shift. Um, you know, being just perpetually tired, constant, constant fatigue. I mean, constant. But finally I broke down and I went to the doctor because it had gotten so bad that my wife was like, listen, something has to give. Either you're going to go see somebody or we're going to have to talk about some things seriously because I can't handle it. You're not the person that I married. And I wasn't the person that she married. I had let I let all this stuff build up and build up and build up and build up until finally it just kind of overflowed. You know, you can only hold so much. But one thing that I've learned is it's okay to not be okay. 
I want, I want everybody listening to this to hear this. I, I, look, I don't care what kind of macho man mentality that we feel like we have to, you know, portray as cops or as men, and specifically talking to the men right now, but I don't care what kind of mentality you think you want to have, but when it comes down to you losing your wife and your kids because you're trying to, to be a macho man and don't want to go talk to somebody about how you feel, it sounds like the one losing is you. Okay? And, and that's just the way it is. That's the way it is. It's the way you got to look at it. And, and that's the way it got to me. Uh, but but the fact that it, it is okay to not be okay. And sometimes we're not okay. And it's okay. We can go out and seek help. And you shouldn't be ashamed of that. But I know that there's that stigma. And I know most officers are afraid of losing their job. And it's a legitimate... It is a legitimate concern. They say, well, if it gets to this point, you know, of all of this, what if I had like suicidal thoughts? What if I've got to the point of, you know, having these things? Which, you know, just to be completely transparent, I have had suicidal thoughts before. And that's come into my mind before. But it was one of those things where, you know, when it got that bad, you just kind of, you have to reach out to people. You got to reach out to people. You've got to reach out to uh, someone that trusts you and someone that you trust. Um, you know, someone that you trust well. Um, but you know, if you, a lot of cops are nervous and scared that if I go get help, number one, people's going to think I'm crazy and I'm going to lose my job because they don't think I can have my gun anymore. Right. That's always a concern, and it's a legitimate concern. But I think that, and I can only speak for, you know, what I've experienced is, you know, a lot of times if you need the help, many departments are willing to help you if you go to the right person. They're willing to help you, and they're willing to be patient with you because, you know, at the end of the day, all the things that we have to see, all the things that cops have to see on a day-in, day-out basis, it gets to you. I don't care who you are. I do not care who you are. I don't. I don't I don't care if you're the biggest, baddest son of a gun that's this side of the Mississippi. You hear me? <laughs> it doesn't matter. You know, after after so many times of seeing dead bodies, gory bodies, children in situations that are just horrible. You know, parents constantly fighting, doing drugs, and here these little kids are right in the middle of it. You know, all the all the the seemingly injustice that we see, all of the evil, all of the all of these things that we have to see, you've got to deal with it. You have to deal with it. Now, a lot of cops they're like, "Hey, look, I'm <laughs> end of the day. I go home and I have some beer, you know, whatever. You know, everybody, you know, everybody copes differently." But you have to be careful how you cope um, because you can actually start to try to cover the way you feel with other feelings. And it actually starts to, to, to start substance abuse problems, things like that, that, which is prevalent in law enforcement, believe it or not, um, which is sad. Because I think that alone shows you that we, we're messed up. You know? now, and I, you know, I say the words we're messed up. We're really not messed up. We're not broken. These are actually normal human responses to the things that we have to see daily. You know, and it, so it, it's 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 normal that we 
have to react to these things. But in my own life, I have I have found out the hard way that we have to have avenues to relieve our stress. We had to have avenues to um, to cope with the things that we see. And I still struggle even to this day, to this day right now, as I sit here in my closet talking to you guys, you know, I've past few days has been rough for me. It's been rough. I've, I've, you know, I've, I've been, you know, had no energy at all. I've just not been very happy. And you go through those times and those seasons like that. And it's tough. But you know what? You got sometimes you have to fight. You have to fight sometimes. Sometimes you've got to stand up and fight. And sometimes that fight is going to seem like something that's very hard. It's going to seem like you're not getting anywhere. But it's all about a mentality. And I know it's hard to keep it in this situation, but it's all about a mentality. You have to fight for who you are. I am not someone who is a grumpy person who don't like people and who just wants to sleep all day. That is not who I am. And I refuse to be that person. So when I get to feeling that way, I know something something's going on. I know that I'm stressing about things. I know that you know there's so many things that I need to do to fix this. Now, are there times where you go through times and, and situations where you can't do anything to fix it? It seems like you can't do anything to fix it. Yeah, yeah. There's times where it seems like, you know, it's so overwhelming that you need clinical help. And that, that is okay. That is okay. There, there has been times in my own life that due to stress, due to depression, that I have literally been a ball of worthless human flesh <laughs> who I literally I remember a single time where one night I was at work I I I normally love my job and everything that I do but I was sitting in my car at work and I began to cry tears began to go down my face I hated my job I hated to be at home I hated everything I just wanted to sleep constantly I didn't want to talk to anybody, which if you know me, that's very odd because I am a talker. I mean, I've been going for a little while now. I'm a talker, okay? I didn't want to talk to anybody. I didn't want to go to, you know, any get-togethers or with any friends or anything like that. I didn't want to have interaction with people. I wanted to be by myself. And I wanted to be left alone. And if anybody tried to talk to me, I would always give them short answers. I would always be short with them. And, uh, you know, that's, you know, sometimes we we get to that place in our life but the key is not if we get to that place because i think a lot of you listening have been exactly where i was then but the thing is not getting there but the thing is if you stay there you can't stay in that position you've got you've got to find ways to cope you've got to get clinical assistance in these things. You definitely do. And for me, and I can say, you know, honestly, my biggest, I think my biggest help more than anything is my faith in Jesus Christ and, you know, the power of, you know, the Spirit of God that, that lives inside of me because I am a follower of Jesus. That, you know, there's been times where 
you know, from a Christian standpoint. And anybody listen to this, I know there's some listen to this that are not Christians. I know there's some listen to this that are of a different religion or may not even, or may be atheist. Um, but there is always been a sense in which when I go through these times that God feels so distant, like he don't hear me, like he's just so far away. But that's one thing that in the Christian life we cannot go based off how we feel. Instead, we have to go based off what we know and who we know, which is Jesus. And he said in his word that I would never leave you or forsake you. He would be with us every step of the way. Now, either we're going to believe that or we're not going to believe that. So, in these times where it feels that God is so far away, sometimes God is just silent. It does not mean He's far away. And I think that in, in those times, you know, are when we, seek, we, we tend to seek after God more. And we tend to, you know, want to... to you know, cry out to him even more, but um, and that's just from a from a Christ, Christian's perspective. Um, you know, there there's been times, and I can I can think of many men that God used greatly that dealt with depression. And the number one person that comes to my mind is Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was the prince of preachers. I mean, he he was an amazing minister, an amazing man of God. He dealt with depression his entire life. His wife was a paraplegic, bedridden. He had to take care of her. He had to bathe her. He had to do everything for her. At the same time, he was a pastor of a church. He he had an orphanage, and he also had a, a seminary for pastors. I mean, this man was not—he didn't have all this free time in the world. He was a busy, busy, busy man. But when you look back at his life and look back at some of the things that he says— his life is 100% rooted and grounded in Christ and the power that comes from him. And, I, and there were times that even Charles Spurgeon had days where he didn't want to go on anymore. He had days where he was so depressed that he did not want to continue living. And one example we can actually look in Scripture and, and, and kind of look from is Elijah. Elijah had sat down underneath a juniper tree and he literally told God to kill him. He said, God, take me away. I do not want to live anymore. Of course, God did not. Um, God sustained him and kept him. And he gave him time and gave him uh, resources to get better. And, to, and he actually helped Elijah get better. Um, you know, and that's... That's such a an amazing story. You know, people don't want to talk about suicide in the church today. We don't want to discuss it. And the, the question always comes up, well, or I've always heard it said, well, if somebody commits suicide, they go to hell because they kill themselves. And there's a lot of people that will not answer that question. They'll just kind of be like, well, I don't know. And, and, and that's probably the safest answer. But it all depends on who this person is. It all depends if this person is a child of God. And somebody might say, "Well, how could a Christian kill themselves? I mean, is it? I mean, how, how is that? How is that possible?" Well, I would think this. I think if someone gets to the point of being so depressed and so suicidal that they do take their own life, that mentally, I do not believe that they 
um, they are fully there to make that decision. I think that they're so overwhelmed by, you know, the feelings of depression and things of that nature that that overtakes them. And that happens sometimes. So, you know, it's a good question. And I think there's a lot of people out there with different answers. Um, maybe one day I'll have a podcast and we'll talk specifically about it and look at scriptures and things of that nature. I'm just kind of briefly discussing it now. But um, but at the end of the day, my entire life as a law enforcement officer through phases, which was stressful, and then just being a cop of my own, which in and of itself can be very stressful, you know, I'm... I've had a lot of rough times because of stress and because of trauma. But what I've learned over the years is when you get to the time to where you think that stress is overcoming you, you've got to seek out someone that you could talk to, get that off of your chest. Not only that, guys, it's okay to just take a break for a while. Take a vacation. Just go 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 do something to relax. Get your mind off of all the things that's stressing you out. I mean, it, it helps me out a lot to be with my wife and my kids on a vacation to just just go unplug for a little while. And sometimes that helps. It helps me out a ton. Um, but I, what I really wanted to, you know, to I really wanted to tell my story because I want people that are listening, um, I want them to know that they're not alone. I want I want people to listen to this right now to know that you're not the only person that is struggling. We all struggle. I've struggled. I'm struggling even to this day. But just know that you're not alone and know it's okay to not be okay. And the the and I've I heard this in the peer support class that I took and it's so 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 true. That the, the there's a four letter word out there that has killed so many officers, and it's the word fine. How many times has people ask you, "Hey man, how you doing? Oh, I'm fine. How about you?" And not be fine. Let's start being honest with ourselves. Let's start being honest, and when we're not fine, let's be honest about that. Let's talk to somebody. There's resources out there. I know that we. They've started the 988 number for um, the mental health uh, or suicide hotline. So 988 is uh, is something that people need to take advantage of. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely a good resource out there for anybody that needs it. Um, and, you know, I had mentioned in another podcast that how I take medication every day, and I do. I take medication every single day, and I've, I've taken more than one before. I've went through a few different ones. And sometimes it's just all about finding the right medication for you. I've my very first pill that I ever took was, you know, one. And I'm not gonna say the name, but you know, it it made me feel like a zombie, like I was zoned out, man. I'm like the Walking Dead. So I went straight back to the doctor. I was like, yeah, I'm not taking this ever again. <laughs> uh, but I finally got myself fixed up on the right medication, and it's it's, it's semi semi helping me. Um, hopefully, we can get the dosage right and everything, but. Um, but I just want you guys to know that there are people out there that are willing to talk to you. And look, I'm going to tell you right now, I may not even know who you are. But if you reach out to me, I am willing to talk to you. I'm willing to um, you know, share my experiences and share my things that, that help me. And, and I'm willing to, uh, to help you out the best that I know how to do it.
But I want you guys to fight for who you are. I really do. I want you to fight for who you are. And the things that we have to do as law enforcement officers is not normal. This for an example. The average person will live, will live their whole lifetime and they will have one to two traumatic incidences in their entire lifespan. One to two. For a officer that works a normal career in law enforcement, they will have upwards to, I believe, if I remember the statistic correctly, it was like four to 500 um, traumatic incidences. So, guys, we are... Our body is physically not meant to withstand that many traumatic incidences. And I know the main thing that I did, and this is the main thing that I did. I want you guys to listen to this because this may explain a little bit of what you're maybe going through. So what I did was to help me when I first got the job as a law enforcement officer. I love people. I, I was very tenderhearted. You know, so I, I had to build up a wall when I was at work to not get emotionally attached to people or situations. Because if I got emotionally attached, I would not be able to do my job effectively and I wouldn't be able to do my job the way that I should be doing it. So I put up this wall so that I would not get emotionally attached. It was just a defense mechanism. But the problem is, is when I got home, that wall never come down. And I got to where I didn't feel anything, didn't feel a thing. When my wife get up, got upset, didn't feel nothing. When my wife told me she, she was going to leave me if things did not get better, that she could not handle this. Guess what? I didn't feel anything. I, I wasn't angry. I wasn't sad. I felt nothing. I just felt numb. Because that wall had been put up and I had taught, I'd taught myself how to put this wall up so that I wouldn't be hurt. And now the wall, it, it, I couldn't take it down. And I'm still, to this day, to this day, I'm still trying my best to get that wall down where it should be. It's it's much better than what it used to be. I, I will say that. I, and I'm still working on it. The Lord has given me so much grace in this time that I'm trying to work on these things. And, and He'll do the same for you. But, um, you know, it, it, it's a struggle. It's a struggle. But you know what? This life wasn't meant to be easy. You know, there's this whole world, I mean, it, the, the whole culture that we live in today, the word hard, they just don't, they don't think, oh, my goodness, if something's hard, that's a bad thing. Well, sometimes it's not a bad thing. If everything was just easy all the time, I mean, there's no challenges, you know? I mean, look, I like a little bit of a challenge every now and then, and this is a challenge that I'm taking on. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to keep going, and it's all for the glory of God, and I'm going to keep on going. One of these days, we're going to figure it all out. <laughs> we're going to figure it all out. But well, I wanted to share that with you guys today, and I just wanted to kind of let you guys know that. Um, I'm not going to continue to ramble. Um, hopefully, Lord willing, um, we're going to get another podcast out soon. Um, and good look, guys, if you guys have any ideas for podcasts, if you guys have any ideas or anything you want me, any questions you have for me, uh, anything you want me to address, uh, I know I had uh, one brother come to me about something I mentioned in my first podcast about being a Calvinist. Uh, he come to me and was asking questions about that. And, you know, I, I may or may not do a 
a podcast on on that and what that is and why I am one of those. <laughs> but um, but y'all, please come to me. I, I'm I'm willing to. I'm always looking for new things to talk about. Um, but uh, you guys come to me, and I hope you guys have uh, a great week this week. Uh, it's a new week. Uh, it's a new day. God has has woke us up today. Uh, it's a blessing. It's a blessing every single day that we wake up. It is definitely a gift from God. But um, you know, it's it's little things like that that we just got to absolutely remember to acknowledge. Thank you guys so much for listening to Milligan's Island. Again, my name is Seth Milligan, and I pray that you guys come back and continue to listen to Milligan's Island. Um, It is something that I've really been wanting to do as a hobby, and I've really enjoyed it. But I need y'all's help to get this thing rolling, okay? I need you to tell friends. I need you to subscribe, to like. I need you to go out to spread the word for me, please. Um, spread the word for me because I, I continue to I want to continue to grow. Um, it's definitely been growing over the past you know week few weeks. Um, so I want to con- I want to continue to see that growth, um, and I'm going to continue to keep putting out these episodes for you guys. So um, you guys send me send me questions, send me things that you want to hear about, things you want me to talk about. Uh, send them to me. Um, you can actually send them to. Um, sthmilligan72 at gmail.com if you want to send them to me over that email address um, I would be glad to take those uh, those ideas put them back uh, and, and begin to just kind of build off of those to, uh, to keep putting out better episodes until then guys I hope you guys have a phenomenal day let's do all things for the glory of God see ya <laughs>